Well, we just sang a song that, if you noticed in the words, shows how important one's view of God is, and especially as it relates to our relationship with God. Uh, I'll put it this way. One's view of relationship drives how one thinks about life. Uh, One's view of relationship drives how one lives their life. And that's not just a biblical truth. That's just a reality. In in fact, uh, let's just take a couple minutes and listen to a song singing about the reality of how one's thinking about relationships impacts their how they do and live life. A winter's day In a deep and dark December streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow I am a rock I am an island I've built walls a fortress deep and mighty that night Friendship, friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love. Feelings that I've died If I never loved I never would have cried I am a rock I am an island I have my books And my poetry To protect me is me. Interesting, isn't it? It's especially interesting to see Paul Strakalski sing the words along with it. But think about this in all seriousness. When you look at the words here, how one thinks about relationships impacts how one lives their life. Uh, Relationships can hurt. So I invest myself in my books so that I don't experience pain. Or I hide in my room safe within my little womb, as it says. 
Hey, hey, listen, we want to be a church that is really serious about relationships. We want to be a place where relationships are, are, are highly valued. And I got to tell you, I'm so encouraged. I mean, I'm just so uh, uh, excited about what's happening. I mean, no, just last Sunday, last Sunday. I mean, I specifically think of, of Adam and Justin and Sam. I mean, three adults who the combination of the use of this church family, along with some specific individuals in their life that were living the gospel before them, and not only living it before them, but actually speaking it before them as well. Uh, Three individuals who God has used this place and a people uh, as a team to be able to completely bring complete life change for them for eternity, by the way. How cool. And we want for that to be just a drawing, deep, driving reality here. And yet, I'm going to say this as well. Harvest, we've got a long ways to go. I mean, we really do. We've got a long ways. I realize we're a new church, but we've got a long ways to go before what I'm talking about there in those statements becomes a reality. And how do we think about it? Where do we go with it? Well, our time today in the Word is all about this. It's all about hitting the nail of why should I be about big, bold, bodacious relationships? We've been talking about big, bold, bodacious aspects of responses to the coming of Christ that we want to be as a church and as a people. Why should I be that? That's the nail that we want to be driving today. And that's the nail that we're going to be hitting on again and again. So in order to get at that, we first got to do this. Actually, just what the song prior was about that we sang together. We first have to understand the God of relationship. In fact, let's do this. We're going to go to start with Genesis chapter 1. Turn there to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we got some people coming around with one here. But we're going to be going, I'm telling you, we're going from beginning to end of the scripture. And this is going to be most of our time. Because listen, if we don't see God right, then we're going to be like, why should I be about big, bold, bodacious relationships? Genesis chapter 1. And and as you're getting there, um, let me ask this question of you. When you think of God, I mean, just normally, on a day-to-day, just you and God, when you think of God, what's your picture of God, really? What is your picture of God? Let me toss a couple out here. He's maybe the divine grandpa looking down from a rocking chair. He's old and he's kind of tired because he's been around like a long time. And he's there and he's kind of in and out. You know, he's seeing what's going on and we really respect him a lot, but he's a bit in and out. Or another would be is maybe he's the judge with a scouring face. That frankly, I mean, maybe from your upbringing, from your understanding, or from your own thinking, you've developed this view of God that he's like this judge, kind of with this scouring face, and behind the face and the wrinkles, there's this almost bit of excitement about being able to drop the gavel on you and I because we're such losers. Or maybe he's your divine palsy-walsy. He's kind of like uh, today, which is quite common talk almost. It's kind of like Jesus is my boyfriend. You know, I think you'd have some things to say about that. 
Or maybe your view is like he's kind of like a half-crazy millionaire uncle that it's like, I have no idea like what he does, where he's going, what he's doing, but he's like got mega bucks and he just like tosses things out here and there, but who can figure the guy out? Or maybe a last one, maybe he's just a distant, disenfranchised, bothered God. Seriously, what's your picture of God? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to try and have us foster getting a biblical view of God. So let's start in Genesis chapter 1. Because friends, God is way cooler than any of those. All right, let's start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Very last verse of Genesis chapter 1. It's the sixth day after, of creation. And it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Listen, two things come out of that verse. Number one, who created everything? God did. Listen, that puts him in a very unique place, correct? God created everything. And secondly, God looked at everything he created, and he was like, awesome, awesome. Oh, by the way, mankind was created already in that. And God looks at everything. He's like, oh, yeah, love this. Love what I did. Well, let's keep on going to get some more view here. Let's jump down in chapter two. It kind of narrows down from chapter one into creating of Adam and Eve. And, and verse 15, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Yeah, see, there God. See, there is a God who's just creating people just to take care of his stuff. Now, I don't have time to get it. There's so many things we could be talking about in a number of these verses. But I do want to make mention of this. God took Adam and he put him in the best spot of all creation at the time. And he's basically saying, Adam, take care of like my prize spot. I mean, this is a privilege. This is a pinnacle point of God's creation, including Adam. And it shows the fact that, that really mankind is kind of a pinnacle point of creation for God. And he puts them right there. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man. Why? Because he can do that because he's God. He created everything. Commanded man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. See, there's grumpy God. Now, wait a second. God comes in and says, listen, Adam, I've put you in the premier spot on the entire planet and all of creation. And listen, I'm just telling you this. Don't eat of that because if you do, life's going to get really hard for you. God is actually seeking to protect him in this. Well, why didn't God create the... Why did he even create... We don't have time to get into it, but in the whole thing. Listen, God puts them there and he says, listen, don't because bad stuff's going to happen when you sin. Listen, a choice to sin is a choice to suffer. And it starts out here in the very beginning that way. Verse 18, then God said, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Listen, and then God looks at Adam in the perfect spot, in the perfect place, and he looks at him, and God's just not like out of it. He looks at Adam and he goes, man, my man is lonely. He's lonely. I got to do something about this. Oh, by the way, it isn't like God went oops, I made a mistake. I should have thought this through more. God does things and he did creation not only to accomplish his purposes, but he does things in a way to teach us through it. And so here in this, he's actually creating Adam and Eve in a way to teach us a whole bunch of stuff. 
And part of it is, is that there was a thing called loneliness that God wanted to come in and resolve through marriage. And so let's jump down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. In other words, God's not sitting back and going, oops, oh, you're in trouble. God does something about it. God is actively involved, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, brought her to the man. And then the man said, by the way, this is after Adam looked at all the animals and saw that none were like him, and yet they all had partners. And then he looks at the the woman, this is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, a woman. Because she was taken out of man, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall uh, become one flesh. We see in here that God cared about Adam's condition and his loneliness, and he does something about it. He creates a partner. He creates a new relationship. This isn't just about take care of my stuff. This is about God caring, showing relationship, and Adam liked what God did. Let's jump over to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be here all day, chapter by chapter, by the way. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, Adam and Eve have sinned. Look at the relationship that's taking place here between God and Adam and Eve. Uh, Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord doing what? Walking where? God is walking among them. In the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Adam, where are you? Listen, God knew where Adam was. Okay, look at all the questions. God's drawing the heart out. Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Um, The man said, uh, look at this. The woman who you gave me, God, this is the deal. She grabbed this fruit, she threw me on the ground and shoved it in my mouth and made me eat. It's her fault. Oh, are you seeing not only is he blame shifting to her, but look at really what Adam is doing. God, the woman you created. Hey, this is not just blame shifting to Eve. This is an outright blame shift to God himself. God, you messed it up. Eve. And then the Lord said to the woman, uh, it's interesting, we don't record God saying anything as a response uh, right at that moment, but the Lord says to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, "Um, the serpent, he grabbed me, he threw me on the ground, and he shoved it in my mouth and made me eat. Okay, there's a whole lot we could talk about just right here, but we're talking about relationship. And part of what is webbed in here, is weaved in here, is seeing God with his people. Did you notice in verse 8, God is walking, God is hearing Adam and Eve. He's in the garden. Verse 9, God is looking, he's calling, he's speaking to them. In verses 10 through 13, God is interacting back and forth. Uh, God's design was relationship. From the very beginning, please, if you have the view that God was like, poof, and we'll just see what happens, that is so not a biblical view of creation. 
God created things with an intended relationship. In fact, let's like jump ahead a whole bunch of years to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 and continue to see God in relationship. Because I'm not even going to talk about us in relationship until we understand our creator's relationship with us. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. Uh, Moses is at the burning bush. Moses doesn't really even know Yahweh, if you will, that much. And all of a sudden, God shows up in his life. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, Moses, who are in Egypt. And Moses, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And Moses, I know their sufferings. And Moses, I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You see this? God saw. God heard. God knows. And God acts. Oh, by the way, in verse 7, do you see in there it says, my people. There's a whole lot contained in that statement. God's not saying, you know, I feel sorry for these losers out there and I need to do something for them. No, God's talking about Israel. These are my people. God's people. Let's go to the end of Exodus. Exodus chapter 40, the very last verses of that book. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Exodus 40, 34. This is after they've come out of Egypt. The tabernacle has been built. The tabernacle is the temporary temple. It's a tent. It's made to be portable. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud uh, settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. One more time, we just see one more thread, one more link God's glory is with his people. In fact, if you know about the establishment of it, the tabernacle is set up right in the middle of the camp. God is front and center, right in the middle, among his people. Let's make a jump. Let's go to 1 Chronicles. Hang a right. Go 1 Chronicles. It's after Samuel, and then Kings, and then Chronicles. By the way, I always remember that because it's alphabetical order backwards. Old Testament. Back, I don't know if that helps you. First Chronicles 17. And now, verse 1, Now when David lived in his house, we're at the time where Israel is a kingdom. David is the king of Israel at this point in time, kind of coming up to the pinnacle point of Israel's history. And David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is now you who will build me a house to dwell in. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, but I have gone from tent to tent, from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd who? My people. 
saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, uh, thus shall you say to my servant David, uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over who? My people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from from before you, and I will make you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and they will dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Jump down to verse 12. And he, actually speaking of Solomon, David's son, he, his throne, I'm sorry, he shall build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father and shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love for him as I took also from who was before you, but I will conform him in confirm him in my house and my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words in accordance with all the vision nathan spoke to david why am i reading all this because god's desire is to be among his people is that your view of god serious or is he a grandpa or the excited judge to lower the gavel on you? Or your palsy wowsy up in the sky? I just got to tell you, all of those so do not fit. Instead, we see a God that wants to be among his creation. Oh, not because God needs to. Not because like God needs me. Not because God just like needs you because he's like lonely and he doesn't know what to do with himself because you and I aren't around. No, no, no. God wants to show his glory among people. Is that your view of God? Yeah, but Doug, see, back then they were, they, God was there. Uh, let's keep going. In fact, let's do this. Let's make like a major jump. Let's like jump up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 and 23. Matthew chapter 1. Let me pick up in verse 21. She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And what does the text say that means? Christmas. Emmanuel. Seriously, folks, this isn't a game. We're talking about God with us. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was who? Okay, here's the equation. The Word equals God. All right? Now let's jump down to verse 14. And the Word, the Word equals who? And God became flesh, the second person of the Trinity became flesh and dwelt where? Among us. And we have what? Seen his glory. Glory of his only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among. Let's keep on going. John chapter 1 verse 35. 
verse 35. The next day, this is, uh, by the way, about 30 years later, if you will. Uh, Jesus is just starting his ministry. He's just been uh, with John and been baptized. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, Who are you seeking? (laughs) From Genesis to the incarnate Christ, asking questions. Questions draw out the heart. Uh, Who are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came. And they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Hey, listen, that's Emmanuel. Uh, Jesus, he, he's there, and he's like, come on, let's go hang for a day. Man, wish I would have been there for that day. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to make it all the way to Revelation, just in case you're wondering. Philippians chapter 2. Let's actually pick up in verse 5. We'll come back to verses 1 and 4 in just a minute. Philippians chapter 2. Have this in mind among yourselves. What in mind? We'll come back there. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a what? of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ made himself a servant for sinners like you and me. Can I just say this? Now that is one big, bold, bodacious relationship. It kind of makes, hey, how's the Colts game going? A little bit like irrelevant. Although it's going to be kind of interesting today, isn't it? Hey, that's part of relationship. But listen to me. That's not all of relationship. We're talking about verses 5 through 8 now. Let's say this. That's relationship. Let's go back to verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement, Paul's writing to the Philippian church, any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, please complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves. Why? Because that was Christ's mind. Listen, God is all about relationship. And because God is all about relationship, it drives what we're to be about. But we got one more verse to go to. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21 before we talk a little bit here about us. As you can tell, folks, I just today, I just want us to spend some time in the scriptures reflecting on, remembering, rejoicing, in, and embracing the fact of who God is. God is with us for real. And that's not just been from Genesis chapter 1, and it's not just been through the Old Testament. 
And it's not just in the Gospels through the incarnate second person of the Trinity. But friends, listen to me. We're talking about for what's ahead as well. Look at this baby. Look at the, I'm serious. Look at this passage. This is one that can carry you through. Revelation 21. Then, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Booyah! And the sea was no more, verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is where? And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Again, God is not needy for you and I. Oh, please, let's not get that idea. God is going to be God among his people. (laughs) The reality is, is God has provided the opportunity for redemption to be with him forever, to see him as God, and all of this blah History, but that which is of eternal value for eternity. Boo double yah. Verse 4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things gone. That's God. Get out of here. No, that's God. Does it shake you up? Does it stir your heart? Does it just make you want to go, I don't know what? We live in a world that pictures God as this far off, distant, I could give a rip ding. Guess what? Praise the Lord. That's a lie. God is with us. And we don't even see all of it now. Do you know Christ? In this kind of way? I mean, in a relationship kind of a way? That's why Christ came. Christ came to bring back. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Is that our view of God? God is all about relationship. I don't have a whole lot of time left. But the little amount of time that I have left, I'm going to talk about the impact on us. Because listen, it's first and foremost about seeing God for who He really is. So now let's talk about the impact of that on you and I. It's this. Because God is all about relationship. Guess what? We're to be all about relationship. End of story. I mean, it's just us today. What other application do we need to draw from it? Question. What's your view of relationship? 
just in these closing minutes, I would just ask for you to consider your relationships as I'm talking. What do your relationships tell you about your thinking? Remember how you think about relationships impacts how you live. Are your relationships driven by eternal things? Are your relationships surfacy? Why do I bring this up? I bring it up because as a person having grown up in church all my life, I think Christians and church on the whole embraces surface relationships and frankly fools itself in thinking that I know people, sort of, and they know me, sort of, therefore I have relationships, sort of. And at Christmas time where we're just, some, many of us are just like overfilled with relationship, it's like, can like everybody please leave? It's the kind of thing where uh, I do want to use this and just close off here with some thoughts. You may have family relationships. You may have work relationships, school relationships, neighborhood relationships. You may have sports relationships, hobby relationships. You may have play day mom relationships. You may have church relationships. You may have common interest relationships. You may have Facebook relationships. But do you have being like Christ kind of relationships? I think we are masters at fooling ourselves. I have relationships because someone recognizes my face. It's kind of like Cheers and Norm. But God has called us to Matthew 28, 19 through 20 relationships as we talked about a couple weeks ago big, bold, bodacious vision. Go and make disciples. Listen, that's what God has called us to be about. Go and make disciples. That kind of relationship is completely different than just surface relationships. Go and making disciples means that I have to like put myself in. In fact, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 relationships are what we could call Proverbs 27, 17 relationships. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one woman sharpens another. Listen, in order for a piece of iron to be sharpened, the other piece of iron has to be on it and has to rub shoulders with it, if you will. It has to be there. It has to rub on each other. And as you rub on each other, sometimes it causes some heat and friction. It would be a whole lot cooler and a whole lot simpler and a whole lot like less rubber rubbing if I could stay over here. But when we rub shoulders with people, then that's the type of time when we start sharpening one another. Do you have Proverbs 27, 17 kind of relationships? What about 1 Thessalonians 2 relationships? Paul talks about how I came among you. I was like a mother to you. I was like a father to you. I camped myself among you. I was with you. I loved you so much. I was delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you'd become so dear to us. Do you seriously? 
I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm trying to do a big challenge here because, friends, if we want to be a church of real impact, this is the thing that shows the difference. And I'm just tired of 48 years of growing up in church where we're just sometimes so often we never aren't doing this. We're just playing the game of just getting to know each other. And by the way, how's the Colts game today? And yet there's no depth there. There's no eternal value there if left at that place. Have fun. Talk about the Colts. Hang out. But it's more than that. It's Titus chapter 2, if you remember. It's the older women downloading into the younger women. Older women, is that a burden on your heart? Because if it isn't, by the way, God has called you to do that. Oh, and by the way, younger women, that doesn't mean you just sit there and say, come after me. No, no, no. You go as well. Listen, help me. Help me grow. Oh, same thing for us guys too. Older men, are you putting yourself next to I want to tell you, I'm so thankful for so many here who are doing this. By the way, this is why we have small groups and not Sunday school classes. Because in a small group, you actually get together and rub shoulders side by side, life on life. I came into ministry through adult Bible fellowships. And I left adult Bible fellowship ministry for so many years in great part because it's surface. People know each other, but it doesn't get to any kind of depth. And there's not places and not spots, not areas for men and women to put themselves in disciple one-on-one, one-on-six kind of relationships. That's why Harvest is about small groups. Big groups are too simple. I don't have to prepare. I don't have to enter in. I can just come and be there and I can leave and feel happy. Can I just tell you? As you're, already, you're just seeing me talking today here in my heart. I just want to tell you, that's not what I want this place to be about. Why? Because that's not what God wants this place to be about. And if that means we're a smaller church, fine and dandy. Because guess what? Disciples raise disciples who raise disciples, and it's a multiplication process. Why should I be about big, bold, bodacious relationships? Simple, because your Savior is. It may come harder for you. That's okay. We're all growing and changing, right? Last couple things. Since we're all here right now, I'd like for you to just consider next Sunday coming with a Hebrews 10.24 mindset to church. Let us consider how we may encourage one another. Oh, by the way, considering me, it's pre-advanced. It's before coming, I've already thought through. Is there someone I'm going to rub shoulders with today that I can be of encouragement to? Is there? What am I going to say? How am I going to help them? How am I going to come alongside them? Is that our mindset coming to church? Imagine what this place would be like if that was happening. If all of us were doing that. Can you imagine? Imagine if that's what was taking place here every Sunday where I see someone who's out just by themselves or newer and I'm like running over there just to get to know them. Why? Because God cares. I just, if you're not in a small group, listen, I don't think, you know, we're perfect in our small groups, but I tell you, we're working at it, we're trying. If you're not in a small group, I'd really encourage you to get in a small group. 
Listen, here at Harvest, that's the way you start connecting to people at a whole different level. Get in a small group. Rub shoulders with them. And if you're in a small group, I just want to ask you this question. Are you going to small group with a Sunday school mindset? Because if you are, that's the wrong mindset. A Sunday school mindset is this. I get to go and I get to sit there for most of the time and hear someone who's prepared a lot and be able to talk and give me some good data. And then I get to leave. Okay, here's the deal. I get the opportunity to go over to someone's house and maybe even the leader isn't even all that great of a leader. Maybe you've been in my small group. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, but you know what? I have the chance to be able to rub shoulders with people that for some reason God and his sovereignty has put us together. And I get to, I'm going to come prepared and I'm going to come prepared to enter in and I'm going to come prepared to rub shoulders and I'm going to come prepared to serve them and to love on them and to care for them. Because you know what? I get to walk out with stuff from this, but it's not just about me walking out with stuff. It's about me putting in because God cares about relationships. Here's another one. How about for a New Year's resolution? You're going to open your home or your apartment once a month, just even once a month to some new people. And just say, hey, come on over. And my place isn't all that fantastic, but who cares? Who cares? But I just want to hang out with you for a while. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it? Folks, I got to tell you, if that was happening here, there would be massive impact. Here's another idea. Maybe turn off the TV and close the laptop on Facebook and initiate actually getting face-to-face with someone. Wait, Doug, are you grumpy after Christmas? No. I'm charged up for us to be a place like Christ was. He came and lived among us. Am I that way? Are you that way? That would be Christ-like. Don't wait for the church to program it. Be it. Last thing. And I somewhat fear to say this as a pastor because I am going to tell you some things about what we're as a church going to be doing here real quick. But I don't want for you to go, okay, they're going to help me do this. Yeah, we're going to help you do it, but do it. Here's a couple things. Number one, on your way out today, we've got a number of copies of a church bulletin printout. Uh, I'm sorry, a church directory printout out here in the entry area. And if you'd go through, would you take a look at that? Because if we have your picture, you're in that. And if we don't have your picture, you're not. And could you take a look at that? Because here's what we're doing. We're working to get the whole directory online, passcoded, so you can get in online, as well as if you need a printout. We'll make you printout so you can be able to know who's who with faces. And so if we don't have your picture, we want to get your picture. Eric will be out there. Someone will be out there to be able to grab that and add you in if you're not there. But check your information. Make it sure because we're getting a church directory going. The other thing, in 2010, we're going to be working on some mid-sized group things. Uh, we had the Christmas at the Plaza, which was incredible. February 5th and 6th, we're looking at having a, a building championship marriages Friday night, Saturday uh, a mini conference on marriage. In March, we're taking a look at possibly trying to uh, charter a bus or 10 to go up to Harvest 
in Chicago and do a Saturday in Chicago for a day? Wouldn't that be a riot? And go to harvest uh, and Saturday evening service and then come back Saturday, be bright-eyed on Sunday. Uh, then the ladies were looking in April, the end of April, a, a women's conference with Elise Fitzpatrick up in Lafayette. Uh, Karen's going to be talking with the elders' wives about uh, summer Bible study with women, about becoming God's true woman. In September, there's a true women's conference coming up. I think Piper's wife, no? Piper's wife quit, I guess. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, and uh, just one other thing I just want to make, mention, we're going to really be working this year on some soul care discipleship uh, increase. And I don't have time to go in that, but I want to start putting together some, uh, some visitor follow-up teams and organizing and training a whole vast host of discipling mentors. Um, ah, this is my heart. And I want to be able to foster along some more people who God has gifted us with some people who have incredible capabilities to be coming alongside and counseling and helping in ways. I want to foster that into a new realm to where this is a place where people can come and get help. <sighs> I went over. So here's what we're going to do. Since I went over, Nick, can we just close? It's just us, right? It's just us today. And I'm tired from the holidays as well. So, uh, friends, God has come, and God has shown himself from Genesis to Revelation that he's really serious about being a God of big, bold, bodacious relationship. Here's the question. Are you and I being that? We should be that because God is that. And let's be it. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your goodness. I want to thank you for your kindness and your grace. But Father, I, I pray that just this for me today is so much of a, just a casual share in my heart. Just seeing Christmas and the fact that Christ has come to be with us. The fact that you've created us to be with you. The fact that one day, those who know you as your Savior will be with you and you will be our God forever. Every tear gone. And it's going to be a blast. But Lord, until then, I pray that we would be a kind of people, that we would be a kind of church that really works to get past the acquaintance level and works to be a people that get at, gets at the heart level. A people that have a blast together. And a people that bring you incredible glory because of the relationships that have been deepened and fostered and strengthened. I thank you so much for what we heard last week with Justin and Adam and Sam and people doing that. God, I thank you so much of this is happening here. I just pray it would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we would be a place that is dead serious about loving people for you. Thanks for the opportunity to be stretched beyond our comfort zone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, Merry Christmas, and uh, we're going to see you next Sunday, all right? Love you guys.